Welcome to Lynn Cullen Live. Talk radio without the static. Email your questions and comments to lynn at pghcitypaper.com. And now your host, Lynn Cullen. Hey, welcome. Uh, it's, what the hell's the date? It's August 19th. It's a, uh, a Wednesday. Oh, God. Remember at first in the Trump era, I I sighed before I began every show. I don't think that was a sigh. That was more a, what, what, what was that? Uh, it was a, it seemed to bespeak uh, exhaustion, perhaps. Anyway, I got so much to talk about, I don't even know where to begin. Uh First, <laughs> I guess first, I don't know. Um, I, I watched much of the uh, the convention again last night, and uh, you know, I think generally it's 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 pretty well done. Um, it is definitely something that is intended for our ears, Democrats, because it really is to. Um, to get our adrenaline up, to um, to get us ready to go out there and win. It's it's like a, you know, it's a locker room, uh, it's a locker room speech, you know, in a very important game, <laughs> and um, that is what uh, it is. And you know, in this particular instance, the effort to reach out to so many different people that normally a uh, democratic convention is not concerned with. And um, obviously I, I mean members of the other party. So, uh, you know, seeing Cindy McCain last night and uh, Colin Powell, um, you know, the, the, these things are pretty astonishing um, in toto. The, uh, the entire, uh, tableau that is uh, being laid out. But I want to uh, talk about this uh, Senate Intelligence uh, Committee report that uh, was released yesterday. Good God. Now, what's, what's fascinating to me about this is this comes out of the Senate the Republican-controlled Senate. And I want to tip my hat to that committee and mostly to its uh, chairman, who had to step aside recently, uh, Richard Burr, who is a Republican uh, from North Carolina. He had to step down a few months ago because of... um, He's being investigated, of course, for making um, stock trades before <laughs> for getting rich <laughs> before the pandemic hit. Uh, but that's that may be true. But the reality is, is he was an unusual Republican senator in that he took his responsibility to look into linkages between the Trump campaign and Russia 
seriously. And so this this panel went, you know, for years gathering stuff, you know, the same territory that Mueller did. And if you read what this Republican panel put out, Republican dominated panel put out, it's something else. Let's just, you know, take uh, the, the head of the campaign, Paul Manafort. I'm going to quote from the report. On numerous occasions over the course of his time at the campaign, Manafort sought to secretly share internal campaign information with Kalimnik. Kalimnik, by the way, is then said to be uh, a, a Russian intelligence operative. Uh and so throughout, Manafort, um, back to the report, briefed Kalemnik on sensitive campaign polling data and its strategy for beating Hillary Clinton. So Manafort, Trump's campaign manager, is feeding all their internal stuff directly to the Russians, giving the Russians, of course some really, really good stuff, good resources for their campaign to help Trump get elected. Let me get to some other aspects of this. The Senate investigation also found that two other Russians who met before the election at Trump Tower with Manafort and Jared Kushner and Donald Trump Jr., quote, had significant connections to Russian government, including the Russian intelligence services. And what they went on to say that one of the Russians there, the woman, that the links between the Kremlin and her, quote, were far more extensive and concerning than what had been publicly known. The report went on to suggest that Trump lied. Ha! Did I just say Trump lied? Who could even imagine such a thing? That Trump lied in his written responses to Mueller, which is perjury. Is it not? Again, this is a Republican-controlled committee. In written responses to Mueller, Trump 
said, uh, I can't recall discussing WikiLeaks with uh, Roger Stone. And the committee report says this, quote, the committee assesses that Trump did, in fact, speak with Stone about WikiLeaks and with members of his campaign about Stone's access to WikiLeaks on multiple occasions. So here you have a committee headed by a Republican, majority Republican committee, flat out saying what Mueller didn't say, that Trump lied in his responses to to Mueller. And what they... What they were referring to is the fact that Roger Stone, who the president just, you know, let go, commuted his sentence, that Roger Stone, the convicted felon, who the president was talking to all the time, Stone was in contact with the Russian intelligence operatives. That went by the name of Guccifer, too, right? That was their online pseudonym, but that was the Russians. And he was regularly in contact with them. All about when we dump Hillary's emails, all of that, all of that was coordinated between the Russians with an assist by Julian Assange and WikiLeaks, which they go into as well, and the Trump campaign. This report also says that they believe that other people perjured themselves, including Steve Bannon and also Donald Trump Jr. and Jared Kushner. And they were so certain of that that they sent their findings over to the uh, the prosecutors, federal prosecutors in D.C. And this was done, I guess, like a year ago. And nothing ever happened. It was like sending it into a black hole. Of course, if they'd sent that to the Southern District of New York, something might have happened. The report also said that Manafort, one of the reasons he was so palsy-walsy with the Russians, is he was in debt to oligarchs. They had him. We still aren't quite sure what they've got on Trump, but they clearly have him, too. And you read this, and it's just... They put out a report clearer than Mueller did. Mueller did. Seriously. It's unbelievable. 
And does it even get, does it break through the, the exhaustion, the, 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 the glut of criminal activity that this administration continues to engage in? Incredible. What was Trump's reply to this report? He called the report. Come on, fill in the blank. He called the report. Yes. A hoax. (laughs) He called the Senate's, the Republican Senate's intelligence report on what he and the Russians had been up to. A hoax. And said it showed there was absolutely no collusion between the Trump campaign and Russia. And his spokesman went further and said this, quote, this never-ending baseless conspiracy theory peddled by radical liberals, uh, now the Republican Senate is comprised of radical liberals? Apparently. Okay. Uh, Peddled by radical liberals and their partners in the media, demonstrates how incapable they are at accepting the will of the American people and the results of the 2016 election. Oh, my God. Speaking of that election, another interesting take uh, today uh, by Tom Friedman, who says he sounds really freaked. I mean, when you see these people who have followed uh, geopolitics, American politics for decades and decades and decades, clearly starting to sound terrified, then it, it certainly suggests that we should share that that feeling, which we, of course, generally do. Friedman goes so far as to say where we're heading here is if half the country thinks their votes are not being counted because, you know, the fix is in with the post office, the fix is in who knows with what else, voter suppression – And if the other half believe, the president, that all those mail-in votes are fraudulent, then we could end up not just with a disputed election, and it wouldn't be like Bush v. Gore ending up in the Supreme Court. Friedman goes so far to say, if if this happens, it really would be the end of American democracy as we know it. Because for the first time in our history, the United States of America may not be able, may not be able to conduct a free and fair election. And he goes further and says, it also is not hyperbole 
to say that it could sow the seeds of another civil war. And I agree with all of that. The threat is real, he says. And his reaction to it is, I am going to, if I have to crawl, I'm going to go vote at my neighborhood polling station. I don't care if I have to stand in line, but that's the one way I know that my vote's going to be in those first votes counted. It's not going to be in an envelope. And he suggests that others who are capable uh, do that. It's something that's occurred to me, actually, as well. But then he goes further. He says... Think about the American soldiers who landed on Normandy Beach under that frightening barrage of Nazi artillery fire. Those young men that day were, he says, actually voting with their lives. So the rest of us could vote with our ballots. And then he says he was talking to someone who said this. You know, there are millions of college students living at home now or taking classes remotely. And they're more or less the same age as those troops who hit the beaches of Normandy that morning in June of 1944. So the idea is it would be so helpful if they enlisted to be poll watchers to volunteer to work at the polls so more polls could be open because most poll workers are older people and they're fearful because of the pandemic. But these younger, healthier, stuck-at-home students, the same age as those soldiers who gave their lives, could step up now And train, find out, I'm sure you got to get in there now, find out where the training is and step up and be the poll workers so America's polls can be open, so people don't have to stand in long, 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 long lines. Let all these young people help take at-risk voters to the polls, one by one. Um, Let them help sanitize polling places, you know, every five minutes as often as necessary to make them safe so people will feel okay entering. It's a great idea. And I hope it gets some traction. 
you know, people despair. What can I do? What can I do? What can I do? There, right there, is something someone can do. If you have young people in your life who could do that and who want to fight this fight, please pass that on. Uh, hang on a minute here. (laughs) Yeah, Um, Ed sends me uh, what Marco Rubio said. He's on that committee, and because Richard Burr, the the guy who led the committee through most of this investigation, uh, got into trouble uh, with those stock deals and had to step aside, uh, Marco Rubio is became the head of the committee. It was too late for him to scuttle anything. But he did put this out. We can say without any hesitation that the committee found absolutely no evidence that then-candidate Donald Trump or his campaign colluded with the Russian government to meddle in the 2016 election. Oh. So what was all that stuff I just read to you? (laughs) Oh, dear. Oh, my. So the post office guy sure folded fast. Not that it'll make any difference because Pelosi's still calling for everybody to come back and grill him on Friday. And... um, Pennsylvania's Attorney General Josh Shapiro is um, is still intending to sue the Postal Service and him and the Board of Governors, as is uh, the state of Washington and New York State and a lot of other attorneys general. And the reason all being the, is that we know these guys now. And just because they say They're going to do, okay, all right, oh, boy, you guys really got upset. Well, okay, we'll we'll stop what we were doing then, if it makes you so nervous. And we don't believe them. Three years ago, we would have said, oh, thank you very much, and, you know, we would have called off the hearing, this, that. No, we know that these guys are just inveterate liars. Are you aware of this? In Pennsylvania, I got this a few days ago in a piece. In Pennsylvania, where mail ballot drop boxes were widely used for the first time in their June primary, this is especially in Philadelphia, but I know they were available here. At least one was. Guess what? The Trump campaign is suing Pennsylvania to block the use of mail ballot drop boxes in the November election. Isn't that amazing? People concerned that the Postal Service won't be able to get their vote in on time. 
happily would put it in a box that goes directly to the clerk. And the Trump campaign is suing. Incredible. Of course, their their suit says that drop boxes exponentially enhance the threat of fraud. Oh, for God's sake. So uh, there you have it. I'm sure that it's not just Pennsylvania they're going after. I'm sure any state that's doing it, they're suing. And um, amazing. Just right out in the open. Um, okay, I want to, can I just uh, move into something else? While I was watching the convention last night, I was um, really being distracted uh, by a helicopter that was seemingly hovering over my house again. I mean, this is at 10 o'clock at night, 10.30 at night, 11 o'clock at night. I couldn't even, I'm thinking, and I'm supposed to go to sleep? I felt like I was in a war zone. Then I see on my next door app that a woman well, let me see, I'll try to read it for you if I have it here, that a woman who was out in my neighborhood walking uh, said she came upon a um, six unmarked police vans, excuse me, with lots of guy cops in them, Uh, parked in the Linden School parking lot, which is a block or so from my house. And there were also some police cars, marked police cars there. And she said she went up to them and said, what are you doing here? And they, um, they told her, well, there's protesters, and they're coming uh, down Fifth Avenue, and they're going to the mayor's house, which is pretty much around the corner, too. And um, we're here to protect the neighborhood and to protect uh, property. And she said, well, I hope you're here. <laughs> this is what she posted. She said, I told them I hope you're here to protect protect the protesters too. I'm sure. I'm sure they love that. And then she said, and frankly, this huge police presence in the neighborhood, I find scary. She said, I don't find the protesters scary. I find you scary. And all of this while the helicopters continue overhead. So we got cops, I got cops a block away waiting 
for, you know, what do they need all those vans for if they weren't thinking they were going to throw a bunch of people in them? And then, and I, you know, I could vaguely every once in a while hear the protesters at the mayor's house. I'm far enough away that it wasn't constant. But I have to say that in many respects, I feel like the police, with their presence, ratchet this up. And the and the helicopter, which I initially thought was a police helicopter, turned out to be a helicopter from WPXI News. And um, they, of course, as soon as their reporter did the nightly newscast at about 11.10, the helicopter flew away. And I was finally able to get to sleep. I believe that those protesters, most of them went home, but there were still some left this morning. And some of them had a bullhorn and they were still making some noise. I must say, I do feel for uh, his neighbors. Um, I mean, I know that block so well. And I do know there's a little baby uh, who lives in the house directly across. I mean, a young infant. And I did see that somebody posted, oh, now my baby's waking and screaming. And, you know, look, I'm all for protest. Apparently, they wanted the mayor to come out and speak to them. I guess he chose not to. But on the other hand, if you're one of the mayor's neighbors, and that would have stopped all that noise on a weeknight, um, if he had gone out and spoken to them, I, uh, I think he should have, frankly. I think Bill Peduto is really flummoxed with, and I'm sure he's angry that he, who has built up such a progressive image nationally, even internationally, is viewed by these protesters as some kind of stooge for the cops. But then I think he needs to stop acting on occasion like he's a stooge for the cops. That's my sense, frankly. And... And as for the protesters, I want to say to them that they have to figure out what it is they are, you know, keep in mind, well, what Martin Luther King always said, keep your eyes on the prize. So what is the prize? And 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 understand that your tactics might sometimes have to change or might become counterproductive. That is a very kind of liberal neighborhood. And I think you have a lot of support for the protests there. But even people who support it aren't going to support 
the protesters if they're screaming outside their windows at 11 o'clock at night. That's just human nature. So I don't know. I don't know what the protesters are trying to do there and what this has to do with their agenda moving it forward. I'm not I'm I'm just not sure about that. I I support them, but I'm not so sure I'm supporting this tactic and some people will say, "Oh, right, because all of a sudden you're being annoyed." Because there's a helicopters over your house and and scary cops down the block. And there are. I'm so sick of it. Why the police always seem to be lurking around? These protests are overwhelmingly peaceful. And I see people posting, well, I, I put something out on that next door site saying, somebody said, I wish they'd you know, really use more force against these people. And I just put out their force. What's the crime being committed? And then people start jumping on me. Well, if they ransack your house, I bet you'd want the police. These are not protesters who are ransacking houses. Why do people get so nuts? They're making a lot of noise, which bothers me. It's true at a certain hour, but I'm not in fear of my life. They're not going to hurt my property. They're being loud. I don't know. And I I wish Bill Peduto would engage these people at some point. You can't just wish them away. They're clearly not going away. And you can't just snatch them off the street and stick them in these unmarked vans. They are not committing crimes. It is no crime what they're doing. There was not a crime happening. And you would not know that if you walked into my neighborhood last night. I think the police overreaction, heavy-handed reaction, plus the mayor's refusal to engage these people, just talk to them. Invite them to your office, for God's sake, and dab it out. I, I don't understand. I really don't understand. So they get into some kind of a mindset where they feel, um, I don't know, do they really think the mayor is in danger? I don't think so. I don't know. Sick of it. Really sick of it. Okay. So, another thing. Wait a minute. I just want to make sure I'm not. Okay. There was a piece that it didn't get a lot of coverage, as far as I know, even locally, and it sure caught my eye. And this has to be now almost a week old. And I ripped it out of the paper and scribbled on top of it something stinks. <laughs> So 
Let me share with you why I think something stinks, and it's right here in Pittsburgh. The story came out, Dateline is Washington, D.C., and you'll recall that all of a sudden uh, the CDC was blindsided uh, because uh, all of a sudden the Trump administration said that hospitals should not give their coronavirus information to the CDC, which of course has the job of compiling. It's called the Centers for Disease Control. One of the ways a national CDC does its job is to collect information about what illnesses are occurring. How many hospitalizations, how many positive tests, how many deaths. And that information, all of that data, had been going, of course, to the CDC. And then all of a sudden, it was August 3rd, um, they informed the hospitals. Stop sharing that data. You send it to this address. And they were to send it to somebody called, let me get this right, Teletracking Technologies. Teletracking Technologies. Who, it turns out, the Trump administration made a contract with to now be the collector of all of this coronavirus information, which bypasses the centralized coronavirus database at the CDC. And, you know, a few people who, who, you know, cut through the din of whatever other crap was going on that day said, good God, what are they doing that for? I mean, what? They're, side, they're pushing the CDC to the side and giving this to some private group, teletracking technologies? Who are they? Well, you know who they are? They're right here. That is a Pittsburgh-based company that landed this big, well, $10 million contract. And they now, all that information is going to these guys. Uh... The only other thing I can see here is that it's a Pittsburgh real estate developer who is the majority owner and the chairman of teletracking. I never heard of this guy. His name is Michael Zamagius. So somehow Michael Zamagius, and I don't know if I'm pronouncing that right, gets this contract 
that already would be raising eyeballs because the CDC is supposed to be doing this. And I got to tell you, um, experts, people whose job it is to understand uh, government contracts uh, and, and stuff, said that this is very odd because this Pittsburgh firm refuses to answer any questions from reporters or anybody. They say that part of the contract was they signed a non-disclosure agreement with the Trump administration. So they are refusing to share what the company's proposal was, any communications it had with the administration, any other information related to the awarding of the contract. And an expert on governmental contracts says, you know, one of the cornerstones of the federal procurement system is transparency. So this strikes me as very odd that there would be a non-disclosure agreement with a government vendor. The fact that this change happened so abruptly, uh, public health experts uh, are saying that this is actually increasing the burden to hospitals and endangering scientific integrity. And so we're about a month into this new arrangement, and there are now questions arising about how useful this database that now this Pittsburgh firm is in charge of is. There is a, another group called the COVID Tracking Project, and they look at all the data that they can get their hands on from state governments and federal governments, and they say they've already found large discrepancies in certain states after this switch over. He says, um, for reasons that remain somewhat obscure, we suddenly see numbers jumping around in very strange ways. Also, the way this contract was awarded has generated a lot of concern and confusion. Um, initially, a government website said it was a sole source contract, meaning it was nobody else, it was just them and the government. But then they later decided that there were actually six bidders for this contract, but the, the Trump administration refuses to name any other bidders, saying they're, quote, prohibited from sharing that information. The expert on government uh, contracts says, no, they're not. The names of bidders, keeping that names of bidders a secret is uh, very unusual. So that is something 
that gets no attention at all. It has a Pittsburgh, a big Pittsburgh connection. Who is this guy? How do he get the contract? What's going on at this place? And why was it ever even necessary? So $10 million of your tax dollars are, well, are ending up right here in Pittsburgh. But most of it probably going into the pockets of this Michael Zemegas, who is the majority holder in this company. As I said, something stinks. You know, sometimes the uh, Trump administration is um, is very open about its outrageous actions. In this case, not. But um, so Trump's Interior Department the other day. Did you notice this? I just bring this stuff up because. It gets no coverage anymore. The Interior Department said that it would begin preparations to auction off drilling leases in the Arctic National Wildlife Refuge in Alaska. This is in, I mean, runs counter to six decades of national policy regarding protecting this largest remaining stretch of wilderness in the United States, and Republicans can't bear it. They've been itching for 60 years to despoil this last pristine. And, of course, this is where the few polar bears who are still managing to hang on to life live. But there's money. There's money under that frozen tundra. And money, money is the most important thing. Oil is the most important thing. Six decades of protection. Wow. Uh, Bob writes, what is this? Oh, the speaker's at, I can't open that for some reason. I'm sorry. The GOP convention uh, speakers. Oh, it's just going to be horror. I, I don't know. Um, what, you got the, the gun-toting couple uh, from St. Louis. You got those two black women, Silk and whatever their names are, that um, Diamonds and Silk, is that their, I don't know, who uh, even Fox kicked off. Um, oh, we got the despicable little high school kid who, who smirked at that Native American trying to, uh, educate him. What else we got? I mean, it, it'll, it'll be a, a horror show. 
they going to invite Charlton Heston back to talk to a piece of furniture? And the president, I see, is going, he's going to give his uh, acceptance speech from from the White House, which is, again, an outrage. It is, <laughs> the White House has never been used in that manner before. It's just, you know, we're so sick and tired of it. So I don't know any of you. Uh, what'd you think of the of the convention yourselves? I'm not getting any any feedback from you. I um, I did enjoy a lot of it again, and um, I enjoyed that that you know silly uh, roll call. And I thought I was surprised. I thought it was interesting that, you know, Bernie Sanders, I forgot, of course, well, Bernie Sanders' name would be put in uh, in nomination. And um, and then, you know, you saw he, he won. He won states. <laughs> he won some states. So it was a it was interesting to hear those um, to hear those numbers, actually. And. um And I, I just wanted to say that uh, there are there's some people who are saying that you know he should he shouldn't have let it go so long that he should have done what is usually done where the person who knows they've lost you know stops having their they just call for you know I don't know how they do it exactly what the parliament part the proper procedure is, but they, they sort of ask for just general acclamation. And I, I don't, that didn't happen, did it? But, uh, it's okay. Everything seemed, uh, copacetic, a word I've never used. Where'd that come from? Um, okay. So, this other thing I just wanted to share with you. Oh, this is disgusting. I'm sorry, but I, there are just disgusting things all over the place. Um, Rupert Murdoch's newspaper, he has many of them, but he owns two biggies in um, Australia, his country of birth. And they printed a cartoon the other day that is just racist and misogynistic. It's just, it shows Joe Biden and Kamala Harris together. And it shows Biden saying, it's time to heal a nation divided by racism. So I'll hand you over to this little brown girl while I go for a lie down. Isn't that something? He takes that they took a United States senator 
a woman with a long, impressive career and reduced her to the little brown girl. Murdoch in his paper, of course, standing by the cartoonist. And uh, it's, you know, um, the racism evidenced by the Republicans and their allies is just extraordinary. I saw that that awful Tucker Carlson said last night something like Michelle Obama wants to turn the country over to people who look like her. And it was worse than that. It was something else. And and, and it, it was, it's like, yeah, they said she was an angry black woman. And Kamala Harris, Kamala Harris is going to be the angry black woman or a little brown girl, whatever. Unbelievable. Shameless. Haters. It's all they've got to run on is hate and fear. Incredible. Okay. Um, remember that uh, that thing I read part of to you because I had been so, so taken with it. And it I found it so uplifting, no pun intended. Um, it was that piece on the common swift, uh, a bird native to... Uh, Europe and uh, Africa that does these things where it goes, shoots at speeds up to 50 miles per hour straight up into the air, way, way above the clouds. And, and eyeballs the weather systems and these things are called Vesper flights where they check on the weather because they never alight. They can stay in the air for years and years. Um, it, it was just sort of this amazingly written piece. And I just wanted to share with you that I was hardly the, apparently the only one who went nuts when they read it because the next uh, that had been in the New York Times Sunday Magazine and in uh, this Sunday's uh, magazine, uh, the letters to the editor were just raves um, about the impact of that of that piece. Oh, so it was it was nice to know. And listen to this beautifully written letter. This is from a guy named Martin Casella in Los Angeles. And he wrote in response to this piece written by a woman named Helen McDonald. It's as if someone's soul picked up a pen and wrote that piece. 
pure soul, intelligence, beauty, clarity, and wonder. The cares of the world vanished. We were given our own Vesper flight to bring us back to who we are. Um, and people just raving about it. Um, beautiful, beautiful piece. Thank you. Exquisitely written. And here's somebody who says, I am going to save this. I understand that impulse. I am going to save this and reread it again. This essay was a gift to me during the pandemic. I'm going to try to think of this piece and of birds in general as I hunker down under my comforter tonight and when I awake in the morning in dread. Yeah, it was like this respite that she gave us. And she used the birds, these swifts, as a teaching uh, lesson to us about seeing the bigger picture, being aware of storm systems coming your way, of what's in front of you and what's behind you, and knowing how to ride the currents the air currents. Uh, it, it, it was, I, I mean, to me, just, just brilliant. So I didn't know calamari was a thing in Rhode Island, apropos of nothing. But during that roll call, all of a sudden, there's a guy standing there with a plate of calamari. Ugh, I don't like it myself, but uh, there you go. Um. Ed writes, my favorite line of last night was from Bill Clinton. Ugh. I'm sorry, I am so over him. My favorite line of last night was from Bill Clinton, that as president, Trump would continue to blame, bully, and belittle, while Joe Biden would build back better. So you like alliteration there, Ed. He said he also liked the call of the states, the roll call. Yeah, I did too. I thought a great line was, where is this? Do I have it here anywhere? Um, John Kerry. I like this. Because it's so right on the money. When this president goes overseas, it isn't a goodwill mission. It's a blooper reel. I love it. It's a blooper reel. He breaks up with our allies and writes love letters to dictators. America deserves a president who is looked up to, not laughed at. That was my favorite. Not that I'm into ranking, but yes, that was mine. Okay, well, seems like we're sort of <clears throat> out of time. I'm just want to see if I can get you the COVID report. 
I keep seeing this thing that some guy in California got the plague. Jeez. Like, we don't have enough crap going on here. Somebody got the plague? I guess you get them from being bitten by an infected flea. There's some, like, uh, you know, 18 cases a year in the United States. Mostly they amount to nothing. But you can still get the plague. (laughs) Okay. I do have the report. Let's see. Oh, wow. Well, one number is good. You know, yesterday the number was good. It was like 50-something, right, of new cases. Guess what it is today? 27. That's the lowest I've seen in over a month or two. 27 new cases reported. Okay, now everybody go out and uh, have a party and don't wear masks and get those numbers right back up again, okay? Well, with those numbers, new cases going down and hospitalizations going down because there are no new hospitalizations yesterday, uh, the deaths will start to go down again. But unfortunately, today... Uh, the number is six. Um, Six people died. Um, The deaths are of four people in their 80s. Oh, God. One in their 90s and one in their hundreds. Yeah. Well, Okay. And that's why young people say, well, just old people dying. Well, and a lot of them unnecessarily, they could have lived another 10 years maybe. Hmm? Okay. So this is a good report generally. 27 new cases, no new hospitalizations in the last 24 hours. Keep acting like it's a lot bigger numbers, Okay. That's the only way we're going to get this under control. Hey, thank you very much, and um, I'll talk at you again tomorrow. Bye. Lynn Cullen Live, Monday through Friday from 10 a.m. to 11 a.m. and archived at pghcitypaper.com. The opinions expressed on Lynn Cullen Live are those of the host and do not necessarily reflect the viewpoints of Pittsburgh City Paper or its advertisers.